Wonderful. If you have your Bibles this morning and want to turn and follow along, we are in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's right sort of in the middle of the Old Testament. Amazing book by the wisest man ever thinking about a life skillfully lived, giving us some, to us, actually fabulous news. God makes a great creation, and we get to live in it. So people, a lot of times, like I was even talking to someone this morning, he was like this, he was like, oh, did you choose to do Ecclesiastes over the summer? Like, why? Well, because it's such a downer. Man, if you did it in the winter. (laughs) It's like, well, why is it a downer? Why isn't it like amazing? and Because we have certain things that we want, and they're a little bit thwarted by this book. It makes us step back and think about who are we and what are we doing and why are we living and, and, and these things ultimately we have the answer to in the New Testament in Christ. But it still strikes something about how we live. So last week we looked at the dead ends of achievement and wisdom and work as areas on which we can build our lives, like to find meaning and value, purpose, right? They don't really pan out like in any really close look as this wise man does. So today, the preacher transitions. He's the preacher, Koholet. That's the author of the book. He transitions to this, really two areas that are really close to our hearts. One is time. It's ticking, you know. Well, I can't really hear it, but I know it's going by. Don't waste it. It's the most valuable resource that you have. How you manage and control and and, and sort of maximize your time. Have experiences that matter. (laughs) Time is important, right? How should you spend your precious time to get experiences that last, that you want? And, And there's a tension there. The other one, not just time, but justice. I mean, I long for justice especially fairness towards me, but even justice as a thing. What I want to establish is justice in this place, in this community, in this world. Well, what's your role in that during your life on the earth? Building rightness. Hey, those are pretty two big areas. And it's important to use time wisely and to establish justice, good purposes for us to strive toward a lot of advice and life or towards trying to figure that out and managing that and obtaining that. And and so, so that's great, Dex. Why are you talking about tension? Why is it a tension? Why, why is this called humbled? Well, because the wisdom being imparted to us is... You have no control over time. And you're not the obtainer of justice. And you say that, and I say that quite easily. Oh, yes, yes, it's okay. No, think about it with me. These are deep things. That as we consider how we're living our lives, or after what, what are we after, and we, we, we fall into these ways of thinking, hey, he's pulling us back. Thankfully, there's a ton of hope, but it's in being humbled, truly. If you will not trust in this system of wisdom and society, but in the one who is our wisdom, and we stop, I hope today it changes your outlook in a really amazing way. Let's look. That's what we're doing. This is humbled. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Let's take a look. First tension we're going to look at is time, the tension over time. 
So I'm just going to read several verses now, and they may even be very familiar to you. This is probably one of the most familiar passages in the whole book. Here it is. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. How wonderful. I hear this a lot at funerals, don't you? Like seasons turn. Pithy, poetical description. I, 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 for me, in my growing up, I hear the bird song. You guys hear that? For every season, turn, turn. Someone this morning's like, no, I, I don't know that, but there's a church song. It's like, yeah, there is. There's songs that we make out of this. Why? What is it? Well, because it's so soft, it's comforting, this balance of life, laughing and weeping and keeping and letting go and speaking in silence. and It seems so peacefully okay. But would you listen to it? That's not what he's after. You've been born, and you will die. Planting happens, and there comes a time when you've got to raise the field. That, that, that puppy you love will grow old and pass away. Your pants rip, and they have to be mended. So, so what, if you really look at what, how he lays it out, it's, it's, it makes you uncomfortable. It's not comforting. Why? Because, well, first, I don't want all these things. If you're honest, you say, well, there's a season for killing, for tearing, for mourning. I try and prevent that stuff. I try and prevent killing and weeping and refraining from embracing and losing and, and casting away. So that's the first thing. It's like, I don't really want all these things. I'm, I work hard to kind of keep myself on the one side of many of these things. <laughs> you probably do too. The second thing is I'm not actually guaranteed all of them. When you say there is a season, that means out there things just happen. Not necessarily if they all happen to you. And, and so what the deal is, is that I don't get to choose. Like other people get planting and dancing and laughing, and I get mourning and grieving and killing. No, thank you. I want to do the whole thing. It's not fair. Why don't I get the good stuff? Maybe that's you and your life. And, and plus, okay, so you add it all up. You say, oh, there are seasons and times under heaven. You say, he's giving this. So you add it up, and it comes up to nothing. There's birth and there's death. There's tearing away and there's sewing up. They kind of all cancel each other out. It adds up to no progress. I mean, different. It's like, well, there's planting and cutting down, and then planting more the next season, and cut, and then and then growing. No, there's none of that in this. This is just, hey, the seasons come and they go, and you're done. In fact, take a look at this. What gain has the worker from his toil? 
I've seen the business that God has given to the children of a man to be busy with. Oh my. Isn't that the thought? These different things happen no matter what you work at, no matter what you do. You do get gain from your toil, but you don't control time. You're moving deck chairs on the Titanic, right? You're going down and you say, oh, man, that looks nice there. Oh, let's move them around and look over here. And let's do this over there. And we get different experiences. But, and and we, we don't even get to choose what the experiences are. But we know that it's going. Okay, now we're back to I'm glad you're doing this in the summer decks. No, I, what I want to do is I want to work towards some of these particular things. And if you look at your passage and you have your Bible, I want to work towards building up. I want to work towards healing. I want to work towards dancing. I want to look towards uh, those things, not tearing down and weeping. I work to keep my dog healthy, but I don't actually know if she'll be healthy or not. I, I work to have a beautiful yard, but I don't know if it's the season for tent caterpillars. And if I could control that and I dose them all, I'm still not in charge of the rain. So, so that happens, right? I try for comedy and laughter and easy living, but I may get it or I might get a season of suffering. And, and, and so I went, I went out fishing the other day and, and they were fishing and they were throwing a line out and nothing. You know what I do? I think, oh, we have the wrong bait. Or I went at the wrong time. I'm doing something wrong because if I did everything right, then I could control the outcome. Instead, I actually don't control it, this guy says. That's not comforting. And neither is what he says next. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I want to make this nice. I really do. He's made all things beautiful, everyone. Well, that's not how I think. That's not how you think either. All things beautiful, mourning, weeping, killing, tearing up. No, I think some things are beautiful. And the things that aren't beautiful, I'll, I'll move over to make them beautiful. And here this man says, well, you just don't understand. You don't understand what God's doing. You don't understand the, 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 the course of the seasons. And God, who is above it all, he makes all things beautiful. And so says, okay, so you're weeping and mourning and, and sadness. That's beautiful. Well, thank you. So glad is considered beautiful. So that's not a comforting thought. That's a the one who's actually control. That's a loss of control piece. It's like the things I don't consider beautiful, somebody else does. In fact, the God of the universe might. I want to grasp it. I want to get it. We have a sense of time passing, of heading towards a goal. So we want to find out the goal, but we can't. And that's eternity to man's heart. We say, okay, well, your problem, if you're thinking about all this stuff and we're throwing out this, kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall and thinking, okay, we're trying to figure out the meaning of life and, and we're talking about time passing and I'm trying to, to navigate this life that I'm in. I got up this morning, I'm going to go to bed tonight. I, I've lived for 50 plus years, here I am. So I start to say, well, my perspective's wrong. I need to see from eternity's perspective. Haven't you thought that? It's not part of our Christianity. It's like, like, like I know that, that life is not just what's here. I'm going to live for eternity. What's the problem? I don't know what it's like. I don't think there are any car alarms. 
but I don't actually know, you know. We have a longing for eternity, for making time matter. And Solomon says we might have that longing, but we can't figure out what God's actually up to. It's huge because we think we can. We think we know it's good and right and true for us and for others and what everybody should be experiencing and doing. And we spend our lives pursuing those things so we will build and improve and get things right. Uh, Peter Kreeft, he's a commentator, says, Time is a river that takes everything it gives us. The myth of progress is like believing you're climbing a mountain just because you're going up an anthill on the way down. It's like, oh, oh, look, I'm going up. No, you're not. You just had a little deviation from down. Right? We're going, you're just changing course for the moment on your downward travel. So, so here's a little different perspective. God is in control. And he is working. And you are on the raft. In the river, right? That, that, that's what's going on. Look, look, he, he's... He's doing things, but you don't know what he's up to in the specific experiences of your life. You've got this injustice happening. You don't like it. You want to be done with it. You want your kids to be different. You want your parents to be different. You want your life to be... You don't know what God's doing. I think one of the examples I can give is is Danny and I were childless for, for many years. You know, time to be born, right? We want kids. That's a good thing. Surely God wants that. Everybody was praying for it. We had thousands of people praying for it. Not just here, but in Africa. What he was, what he was about, though, he, after all those doctor visits and all that stuff, years and years go by, you start going, well, maybe God is doing this. You're trying to guess what God's doing. And what was he doing? He was making it so at the perfect time, we got the perfect kids up for us. My kids. At the right time. But I didn't see that then. I had no perspective of that. Right? That, that's this kind of thing. I, I, I want to think I know what God wants, and so, and, and so I'm putting myself saying, well, God wants this, so I'm going to go get it, but I don't actually know what God wants for my experience of life. That's this man's speaking. So, so here's the wisdom. I perceived that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So, so you and I aren't smart enough to figure it out. So enjoy what you have. It's the joy of being humbled, right? I don't know, Lord, but thank you for the gift you gave me today. Thank you for this life. Thank you for the sun. Thank you. So this idea comes in, right? It's, it's very connected to humbleness. We don't know. Instead of thinking, oh, I know that I'm supposed to be getting this over here. Like, I don't know that I get anything. It's all a gift. God's actually at work, and it doesn't even depend a little bit on you. That's his wisdom. I perceive whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. God seeks what has been driven away. I love this. Like God has determined it all. And he goes after the lost. He determines what is done. He's already figured out what he's going to do. That's not a bad thing. It's a humbling thing. Because he's way above your pay grade. Right? Mine too. He adores us. He has us. But he doesn't share it. 
We're in this boat where we know God's at work, but we don't know what he's going to do next in the specifics of what tomorrow will bring. We just don't know. So, so, so one, one thing we try and do, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, okay, what I'm going to do then is I'm going to detach. This detachment idea, right? You know, like, I'll just go with the flow and try not to feel. And say, no, 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 this is real. Like, mourning is real. You're not supposed to, well, don't mourn. No, there's a time for mourning. That may be your time. Weeping could happen. It might be your experience. We're supposed to say, hey, this is real. The, the worst thing is to kind of be like, oh, well, time passes. Life happens. It isn't all that we want. So our own hearts can't grasp, but, but we don't buy into it at all. Guys, God's at work. You just don't know what he is using you for. What we really don't want to do is to buy into what our society gives us, what even sometimes churches give us all the time. What is it? It's this idea of sort of, if you would just do something different, follow the law better, take the crosswalk, build a better foundation, have a deeper prayer life, then your outcome would be a better outcome. Like you could actually get what you want. God wants to give you something different, but, but you know what? You're just not doing the right thing, and so therefore he's not giving you what you really want. Like somehow it's up to you. Michael Horton, in A Place for Weakness, he's a theologian, he says, we don't know what to do with the sin, the death that we face under the sun, but by suppressing the question, we deprive ourselves of the comfort that comes from the answer. The comfort from the answer is God actually has you. We believe in a God who exists and he's active. The real problem comes in when we aren't humbled. What do you mean? Well, self-reliance, right? Self-dependence, self-salvation. If I only take this pill, if I only say these words, then my weight would improve or my kids would respond and I would have the season I want. My time would go better. What fights against that? This scripture. There is a season. You are not in control. Time happens. You cannot be that. And you're in the river that God controls, the river of time, and so time. It remains a tension for us. It is. It's not the only tension here. There's a second one. I want to look at that too and bring them together. The second bucket we try and control besides our time is justice. The tension of justice. So let's take a look. Verse 16. Moreover, I saw, says the preacher, under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Isn't this experientially true? Can't you look around on every side? Everybody wants advantage for themselves. Everybody's grinding their own axe. There, there seems to be a lack of sort of real justice in, in everything. And in fact, even when we think there's justice, a lot of times we find out later that there was actually some bias involved in, in something, in viewpoint, maybe even unwittingly. Isn't that the ground for the whole roiling that's been through our society over the past 10 years? You know, there's systemic bias going on. It's not justice. I mean, people are accusing stuff of, of, of wrong. And it turns out they're usually right that there's wrongness. Mutilating children and calling, 
calling it good. But, but then there's also like, well, well, but you're imposing on them their idea and you shouldn't do that. And people argue over it. No, no, there, there's wrongness going on there. You can't call that right. One example, Alan Northrup. <laughs> I've used this once before. It's in the 1993, he was the father of three kids under six, and he had those three little kids, and in 1993, he was convicted of rape. He went to jail, 23-year term, and later proven that he didn't do it. But he was 17 years into his term. You can't give him all that back, can you? Well, you say, well, at least finally justice happened, but, but because he was in jail, he didn't support his kids, so when he got out of jail, he had a $120,000 child support bill. That's just not right. So we'll try and fix that, but as soon as you fix that, something's popping up over here and something's popping up over there, and there, there seems to be this, these things going on all the way. And depending on, on your perspective, you call certain actions righteous, but, but they're not. The issue really isn't the particular wrong. The issue is, why does God allow it? How can these things be? A couple of thoughts, says the preacher, for this tension. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. So that's an answer, right? He said in his heart, well, God will. I have to separate what happens now with what will happen eventually. But that means living with wickedness that's called righteousness now. That will always be a tension. God's playing a larger game kind of idea, right? And so I see kids mistreating each other, mistreating their parents, parents mistreating their kids, control happening that's wrong, emotional abuse and, and, and the things that we say to each other, and unkindness, and I think, I think in my heart, God will judge. Don't you? What we call righteousness. But where we go with this truth is, I mean, think about this for you. Think about the reality that God will judge. And he's saying that there's wickedness in the place of righteousness. And I think I better shape up. That's what I think. God will judge me. If I do good, he will do good for me. If I don't, then he will judge me. Like I can be good or bad by the force of my intellect and, and my labor. And you know what? It's already too late. You have no control. This is where you're going to fight me. You say, yes, I do. Right, Jerry Bridges, he, uh, he died seven years ago, I think. Neat man, I loved his book. I read them all growing up. He said many books that he wrote. He, in one of his books, he said, when he goes out to speak, one of his later books, when he goes out to speak, he usually begins with this. He says, picture a good day. Okay, spiritually, your alarm goes off. You jump out of bed. You read your Bible, you, the Word of God. You, you have your commun sweet communion. The day starts off well and you go throughout the day enjoying, enjoying the goodness of God. And, and, and so at the end of the day, there's an opportunity to share and you've been praying for it and here it is. Fabulous. Okay, let's take day number two. You hit the snooze five times. You don't want to get out of bed. You're so late you don't read your Bible. In fact, you don't even think about it. You just run to work and you don't give another thought. You're complaining. You're kind of a jerk all day because you're tired. You overslept. And then your coworkers are mad at you. And at the end of the day, here comes this opportunity to share. 
on which day will God bless your efforts? Well, duh, day one. And Jerry Bridges says, if you believe that, you believe in something called karma. Right? That's karma. That That's what it is. <laughs> it's like, if you do good, you get good. You're the master of your fate. And Solomon says, well, well, this is why you don't see righteousness in the right place right now. This is why you, you, you have a trouble, because you don't actually see that God judges everything, including you, and your belief in karma. Your self-orientation around your receiving blessing. That's why he keeps going, right? He doesn't just say this. He also says, I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they themselves may see that they are but beasts. Whoa. Here's the real tension. (laughs) Again, we think we have control, but we aren't any different than animals. You and a dog. You and an ant. Kind of like ants. Right, right, but that's what he's saying, right? For all your talk of justice and rightness, you all die. You don't control the application of justice. You don't. We're so proud. We think our actions are what establish justice, but but, uh, all we do is breathe and eat and die. (laughs) That's what he's saying. And the judgment is that death comes to all of us. That's what he's saying. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast. It's all absurd. They all go to the same place. They're all from the dust, and to the dust they all return. So, well, but we get heaven. Oh, oh, because of your good choices and righteousness? Well, no. Because of the good judgment of God on your choices? No. How do you know? Well, Dax, you're kind of avoiding the New Testament and the, the story of Jesus. Yeah, I know. I am because we're, we, we function like that's not true. We function like karma is what God uses. Right? He, he says this. He says, in in verse 21, where's 21? Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? How do you actually know? How do you know? I know by the word of promise in the New Testament. Otherwise, I wouldn't know. So I saw that there's nothing better from this man's wisdom. There's nothing better than the man should rejoice in his work, for that's his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? His whole thing is says, stop looking ahead, look at now and enjoy it, because this is the ultimate trust of God. Because your efforts now may or may not be rewarded then. You're dying like the animal next to you is dying. You're way closer to that animal, by the way, than you are to God. So, but I'm in the image of God. Yeah, I know, but functionally looking at you, you die like anybody dies. You're trusting in his coming judgment. If you really do. So if you really do, say, okay, Dax, let's factor in Christianity for a minute. Let's say, okay, it's all about what Jesus did for me. I'm trusting Jesus because he's for me. That means my trust is not on what I do. My trust is not on whether I had a great day this morning. My trust is not on the discipline of my quiet times. Hey, I like communing with God. I get up and read my Bible. I love it. It's really good. But it doesn't impact the outcomes of my life because Jesus is the outcome of my life. And he's for me. And so I can trust God. Well, if I trust God, what do I do? You do this. 
Rejoice today. That's what he's saying, right? You should rejoice. That's the ultimate trust of God, to rejoice in your work because that's your lot. You don't look above you and think, well, my lot is, is to earn my way up higher into heaven and to send it on ahead so that God makes me great in heaven. Who are you? You're thinking you're not a beast, huh? That's the deal. Even in vengeance, even in things that are wrong, even in those things, what what does God say? You remember Romans, right? Romans 12 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If vengeance is really God's, why are you making it yours? Ouch. Okay, here's the deal this morning. It's about futility. And it drives humility. That's being humbled. Why? Because number one, you can't control time. The wisest man ever says, hey, I'll show it to you. There's seasons going on and you just get to experience them. You don't even get to choose what pieces you get. We can't control time. And, and further, you can't establish justice. There's viewpoints going all around you. And I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't try. I think that there's this healthy, humbled attitude that we have that if there's justice, God needs to establish it. You aren't in control. You don't influence. You don't even have a, well, I've got just a small part to play. There's a very famous poem by Madeline Langle. And it's just, oh, it's just Act 3, Scene 2, I think it's called. It's like, I'm just so sad because, because I had this really small but juicy role, just a couple lines, and God just flipped the script, and now I don't have my lines anymore. I don't understand. Yeah, life feels like that. Martin Luther, he was friends with this man named Philip Melanthin. So, and, and he would occasionally, this Philip would occasionally worry a bit too much. And it was the situation going on in Germany at the time. It was, you know, early 16th century, right? L- Luther chided him. He said, let Philip cease to be king. <laughs> let Philip cease to rule the world. It is liberating to know we're not in control. It really is. And he further said, Luther did, it is none of our work to steer the course of providence or to direct its motions, but to submit quietly to him who does. That's the message of Koholet, the preacher. Enjoy today for you. Not because we're hedonists, but because it's a gift of God. As, as a close, I want to come back to something that, that, that he said midway through. He said, Everything is beautiful in its time. Can you come back to that for me for a minute? Death and mourning and weeping, how can those be beautiful in their time? I don't think many of those things that are listed in that poem, I don't think they're beautiful. And if you're going to ask me, Dax, you've got to make them beautiful. Like I have to take my grieving and say, well, God finds this beautiful. That's like not very fun to me. Say, too bad. You know, this hard thing that's happening to you today, this tough thing that's happening in your life, this, 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 this distrust over here and, and, and evil over here and, and then hard things over here, you, God makes it beautiful. So don't miss this, right? The, I want to just think with me on Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of time, speaking specifically of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, 
And he goes on to talk about Jesus, right? Jesus experienced everything. Jesus experienced mourning and, and weeping and suffering and laughter and birth and death. All of this human experience, it's beautiful. Why is it beautiful? Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the, the King of Heaven, He came to earth and He experiences it with us. You're connected to Jesus in some very unique and amazing ways that all heaven wants to see because He became you. Us. It's an amazing thing. The wonder is we have these promises of God that He will take these things and make them new. Solomon didn't know this. He didn't get to see it. It's, it's a specific revelation that Jesus says he's going to do these things. There's a time for dancing and mourning. And you know the scriptures say what? He will turn your mourning into dancing. There's a time to live and a time to die. And Jesus takes the dead and gives them life. Your tears are going to be reversed. Hate is going to be reversed. Only here at the cross of Jesus Christ, where God became man, where wisdom gets turned on its head, where there will be no more pain because God will act. Not you. Oh no, Him, by promise, for you. This is our faith. This is our trust. This is our actual belief. And you say today, well, Dax, I just don't see it. Not in my life, and I get it. Because trust is not by sight. That's it, right? Of course you don't see it. That's the whole point. You're caught in a world system of control and self-discipline to get where you should be. And you die in that system. And you have to trust by faith, not by sight, that the one who promises that he will make all things new, that this simple enjoyment of living in all things humbly is your witness because you're trusting Jesus is going to make it all right and, and, and he's got us. A Christ who's active, not a Christ who's dependent on you. So I want to end with this scripture. Beloved, we are God's children now. This is by word of promise what Jesus Christ has done for us. And what we will be has not yet appeared. You don't see it. But we know that when he appears, he's coming again. We shall be like him. We're not like him now in this way on earth that we're like beasts and we die. But, but because we shall see him as he is. There is such amazing hope ahead for you and me. And it is eternity written on our hearts. And we have some very specific promises that we are living by. And the main promise is this. Jesus Christ has done it all for you. Hey, break out of this system. Go ahead. Die. But enjoy it along the way, the gift of God in daily life, while we wait for the King from heaven who's coming for us for sure. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the amazing wonder of what you've done for us. We do not deserve you. And Lord, in our tension over time and our management of it, our control of it, please forgive us, Lord, that we want to put ourselves in a game. We want to determine our outcomes. And Lord, today in this place, we bow before you and we thank you for our daily life. And we thank you that you promise that you've got us, that you'll make it all new. And we lean on that and trust in that this morning, Lord. And Lord, we long for justice. We want it. Forgive us, Lord, that we can't seem to get it here.
Lord, we pray that we might put those desires not in our hands, but in your hands. That we might be a people who trust that you, who are God, forgives, establishes, will make all things new. In your precious name.